I think the most important thing is to talk about it, right? And be very transparent about it. Um, and so, um, so when we bring new teammates on, you know, they, they know before they get here that we're a purpose-driven business. I mean, you can't deny it. You go look at our website and when you, when you, <laughs> when you start the interview process, you know, people quickly learn that we are a purpose-driven business. And so, uh, so I think that's, that it starts with that. And the reason that that part is important is you want to make sure that you create a team that, that understands the purpose and can contribute to the purpose. And then once, once you have a team and, uh, and the company is a purpose-driven company, you have a team that is assimilated to that purpose, you know, then what becomes really important is to share story, right? To find the stories of, of things that bring your purpose to life. My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life. And you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. For many years, I've encouraged my corporate teams and my coaching clients to take a more 10,000-foot view of the world. We all have a habit of getting lost in the weeds sometimes, and it's a useful skill to be able to rise above the chaos and survey the big picture. So it made a huge amount of sense to bring someone onto the podcast who could help us do just that. Ryan Hartman is the chief executive of space tech pioneer Worldview. Based in Tucson, Arizona, Worldview is unlocking opportunities through a low-cost, long-duration, persistent, high-altitude flight for commercial and government customers. That's a lot of long words, and I know Ryan is going to bring it to life for you much better than I ever could. But here on the Unlock Moment, we're also fascinated in the personal journey. Ryan is a veteran of the US Air Force and Navy. He led the Unmanned Systems Directorate for Aerospace and Defense Business Raytheon, and most recently, he's been president and chief executive of in situ, a pioneer in the design, development and manufacturing of unmanned aircraft systems. His is a fascinating CV, and I'm looking forward to finding out what he's learned about leadership and purpose along the way in so many high performance environments. Ryan Hartman, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. Gary, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here with you. Fantastic. So, this is an amazing CV. Tell me how it all started out. Well, Gary, it's a it's a long story, I guess. Um, but that said, you know, I, I always think back to uh, my childhood and and you know what in my childhood led me to get to where I am. And really, it's my two grandfathers, um, my grandpa Hartman, um, who was a rancher, um, and you know, as a child, watching him as a rancher and um, seeing, uh, uh, how much of a steward he was of, of, of land, but also, uh, how incredible of a leader he was. Um, it always, uh, inspired me to want to, you know, follow in his footsteps in some way. And my other grandfather, my grand, granddad Newton, 
was an aviator in the Army Air Corps in World War II. And uh, he used to pick me up from elementary school and take me to a coffee shop. It was called the, the Stagecoach Cafe. Um, and I don't know that my mother knew that he would take me to a coffee shop and he would actually order me a cup of coffee, you know, and I was in the fourth and fifth grade. <laughs> and uh, every once in a while, I would take a sip. But, um, but, it, but I, I was always fascinated by the stories he would tell about his time uh, in the Army Air Corps and, and being part of an air crew. And, and so it, it, was, uh, it was those stories that, that ultimately led me to want to seek a career uh, in aerospace. And, um, and so I, I, I joined uh, the Air Force and, uh, as an enlisted person and then later uh, decided I should probably go to college and went to college. And then I joined uh, the Navy. Um, and uh, ultimately, that's what led me to, to a, a career in, in aviation. Um, and uh, through twists and turns and, you know, uh, starts and stops along the way, I, I, I ultimately ended up to where I am now. Fantastic. And you told me that, that your grandfather, one of your grandfathers wrote a book. He did. My grandpa Hartman, he wrote a book called The Making of a Cowman. Um, and uh, when I was a child, you know, I always saw that book uh, lying around and, uh, and I didn't think much of it. It was, it was just the book that grandpa wrote. Um, uh, but it was actually a fascinating book because I, 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 have, I have often used it as a guide to my DNA. And what was it about? Well, my grandfather was, as I said, he was a, he was a cattle rancher. Um, and what, what he ultimately uh, wrote about was, you know, the challenges of being a cattle rancher, but he, but he spent a lot of time talking about the role of a leader and, um, and how a leader um, can lead a team and lead a business in a way that, that ultimately uh, contributes a positive end result, you know? And so he talked about, you know, being a good steward of the land and, and what it meant to be a good steward of the land. He talked about what it meant to uh, be responsible for young men and young women, you know, seeking, you know, a career in, in, in cattle ranching. And uh, he talked about the role of being a mentor and being a coach. And he talked about, you know, the, uh, what, it, what it meant to be a rancher responsible for these, uh, these cattle um, and uh, how he, f he thought it was his role to, to, uh, to give them the best life that they could possibly have. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, it was, it was about ranching, but for me, it was about leadership. Uh, for me, it was about, you know, what it, what it means to be a leader that's driven by purpose. And I didn't realize that until later in life, once I had an opportunity to be a leader. Um, but it's, it's so much more impactful to be a leader when there is purpose behind it. And it's interesting. I, I, I talked to quite a few people who uh, are have been in the military and then have made that transition into leadership in the in in the civilian world. And there are many things that are similar. And there are a lot of people I think who've never been in a military environment. I've never been in a military environment who imagine leadership in that environment and thinking of you know very high performance leadership and very sort of developed and skilled. But I imagine it's also really different, you know, leadership in the military compared within the civilian world. So talk a little bit about your experiences of the two and what you learned making that transition into leadership more in a civilian environment? Well, 
you know, in the in the military environment, it's very command and control, right? There's a very clear hierarchy, um, and the mission is very well understood, right? And I guess in a lot of ways, you know, uh, uh, leadership in the military, it can come across as quite harsh, right? And quite blunt. And there's, there's some goodness in that, right? There is, some, there is a, a, a role of clarity, I guess, that, uh, um, that, that, that leadership in that kind of environment truly plays in, in executing a mission or, you know, trying to get to an end result. You know, but for, for, for me, I guess I, I have found, you know, that I gravitate more towards being, you know, a servant leader, right? A, a leader for people and through people. Um, and, uh, and so that transition at first is, uh, you know, I, I found it to be difficult. Um, you know, I, I, it, was, it was this dichotomy of, you know, uh, having leadership skills that I was taught versus leadership skills that I guess were just, uh, just inherent, right. You know, just part of who I was. Um, and, you know, as, as, as a young leader, um, you know, when, after I got out of the Navy and, and, uh, and joined, uh, ultimately joined Raytheon as a young leader, I, I, uh, I found that I was, I was not doing a very good job, right. I was, I was trying to use these leadership skills that I was taught, um, and not trusting my instinct. And ultimately what, you know, what came about was I'd say I was an inauthentic leader, right. You know, and, and what I have found throughout my journey is that that authentic leadership is showing up as the person you are and being the leader that is natural, right. Versus being the leader that you think you need to be. And so uh, once I, once I figured that out through coaches and through, you know, uh, failures along the way, um, once I, once I pivoted to being a, a truly authentic leader, meaning leading uh, by my own values and leading by, you know, through the person that I was or am, you know, that led to me being uh, a much more effective leader um, because it became natural, right? It, it, the decisions came naturally, the, the empathy for my colleagues, the empathy for the people I was responsible for, it just came naturally. And do you remember the moment when you figured that out and you, and, and you, you shifted into this more authentic model? Well, it, it, uh, I'll tell you, it, it goes back to the story of my grandfather. He died when I was uh, a young adult. Um, and that's when I took the time to actually read that book. And I started reading about these things. And I was like, yeah, this resonates with me. I, like what I'm reading is uh, truly a you know, leadership skill you know, that, that, that I just understand. Um, and so that was a moment where I, I realized uh, that, that leadership, yes, there are things that you can learn to be a leader, but, but the most effective leaders are those who are authentic leaders, meaning that, that they're, they're doing it based on what comes naturally to them. And, um, and it's not so much that it was like a, uh, that turned things around for me, but, um, but it was, the start of a journey, right? It was the start of a taking a, you know, a different path and, you know, in the fork of, of the road and starting to, to hone those skills and starting to hone my, my leadership from that perspective. And do you remember what made you pick up that book and read it? Cause you've been sitting there for a long time. Yeah. I just missed my grandpa. You know, I, um, I think, I think, you know, as, as, as most grandchildren do when, uh, when a grandparent passes away, uh, I think, uh, I think you reflect on, um, it, you know, maybe, could I have spent more time with my grandparents? You know, could I have, 
ask them more questions. And, you know, I think as a child, you know, you're, you, you don't realize the lessons that are learned from your parents and your grandparents until much later. And, and I think as an, as an adult and, um, you know, hearing that my grandfather passed away, you know, I, I had those same reflections and I just wanted to feel connected to him. And I, you know, and I recognized that that book was, was a unique connection to my grandfather, um, that maybe I couldn't ask him questions directly, but there were answers that were available to questions that I may have had through, you know, this book that he wrote. And it's interesting that that story is so resonant because in some ways that answer had been sitting on the table next to you for many years. Yes. But there was a time when it was the right time for you to pick it up and, and open that book. And maybe if you'd opened it before, it wouldn't have had the impact that it, that it did. Um, so that, that's, it's a lovely story. And, you know, we talked before, before we started the podcast about, you know, family for you. And there is this sort of, you know, this generational story from your grandparents. And, and now you have your own children as well. And, and you see that same sort of purpose flow through. So talk to me a little bit about, about your family now. Well, um, I'm the proud father of three sons, uh, you know, raising three sons. You know, it's actually, uh, I've never thought about this until just now. Um, you know, my, my grandpa Hartman raised three sons, um, and, uh, and now I'm raising three sons. And what's interesting is nobody else in our family has three sons. So that isn't that interesting. But um, I have three sons, my oldest son, Nicholas, um, then my middle son, Ethan, and then my youngest son, Taylor. You know, we're a lucky family, and I'll, and I'll explain why, is that uh, my youngest son, Taylor, uh, was born with Down syndrome. And when he was born, I didn't, I didn't understand, you know, what that meant. And I guess in some ways I was angry. Um, I was sad. You know, I was feeling some, some sort of, some form of grief, you know, um, that my son was born with something that I didn't understand. Um, uh, but I quickly uh, realized, you know, and I'd say in a, within a matter of days or, or maybe as long as a week or two, I quickly learned that, uh, that his mother and I um, had a very unique opportunity. And that opportunity was that through Taylor, we would learn so much more about life than we would have ever otherwise been able to learn. Um, you know, raising a, a special needs child is, is certainly a challenge. Um, but it, it creates a, a different form of, of understanding and empathy, you know, and I think a better understanding of inclusion and equality and, you know, the importance of, of, of education and things like that, um, that, you know, I was probably far naive about um, uh, um, until, you know, Taylor was, uh, was brought into our lives. It's really interesting. And I hear it's, it's so powerful with you, this, this clarity around purpose-led leadership, you know, your purpose-led individual. And it's interesting because, you know, when people think about aerospace and defense businesses, not necessarily an industry that's always overwhelmed by that sense of purpose and values. But, you know, you're working in, an, in, in a business now that actually has a lot of that in there. So bring to life what worldview is as a business? What does it do? What is it there to do? Well, I guess, you know, considering this conversation, it's best to start with why we do what we do and, uh, and why we exist as a business. And, uh, and that is that worldview exists to inspire, create and explore new perspectives for a radically improved future. And we do so through um, uh, two businesses. Uh, one is uh, space tourism, where we're uh, developing a, an offering where 
uh, we create opportunities for people to ascend above our earth and see our earth um, um, and, uh, and ultimately obtain an inspired perspective of our earth. Um, it's commonly referred to as the overview effect. Um, astronauts have uh, had the opportunity to uh, view our Earth from space, and they talk about a, a peak moment in their life, uh, an unlock moment, if you will. And, and they talk about that being life-changing. Um, and, and I've had lots of conversations with people who have experienced you know, this, uh, this overview effect. And through that inspired perspective, you know, they, they ultimately see the earth as being something bigger than themselves. They see the earth without borders. They see the earth uh, without race. Um, and that leads to a newfound respect for our planet. And so you know, that's the opportunity we want to create for people. And then we talk, when we talk about inspiring new perspectives for a radically improved future, you know, the idea of a radically improved future is that if we can deliver this experience to as many people as possible, uh, we believe that we can help create a critical mass. And when we talk about you know, vision um, and where our company is headed, you know, we can boil it down to something that's like quite simple. And that is, you know, a decade from now, maybe two decades from now, when our Earth transitions to a healing planet, you know, what, what we want is just to know that uh, we're part of the conversation when people talk about what led to our Earth being a healing planet. And, you know, there's going to be a whole list of uh, decisions that were made. There's going to be a whole list of companies that were created and, and existed to help contribute to a healing planet. And that's, uh, that's our role. That's what we want to contribute to is through the use of technology and very unique technology. Uh, creating an opportunity for for people to to have a newfound respect and ultimately create a critical mass that uh, contributes to a radically improved future. And bring to life what 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 you mean by this term, a healing planet. What does that mean? Well, you know, I think there's there's no misunderstanding. No matter your you know your political affiliation, you know where you live in the world, you know we can see our planet is in pain, right? We see it through the wildfires that exist, you know, the, the growing number of wildfires. We, we see it through the extreme weather events that happen around the world. We see it through, you know, growing uh, population of poverty um, around the world. And we see that, that you know, in, in, in different parts of the world, and um, different parts of our planet, it's on a march towards uninhabitable, right? That the people can't sustain life in different parts of the world. And so for us, when we talk about what does a healing planet mean, it means that we've shifted behaviors, right? It means that as a, as a society, as a human race, uh, that we have recognized that we can contribute to reversing this course, right? That, that we can make decisions around you know, simple things like the use of, of single-use plastics, that we can shift uh, our use and st stop thinking about um, or, or start thinking about uh, what we can do to increase our handprint uh, on Earth versus our footprint on Earth. And what I mean by that is, you know, um, finding ways to contribute to, you know, maybe growing more trees or more sustainable food and decreasing the footprint uh, that we leave on the earth that, is, that has had, I'll say, an undoubtable uh, negative impact on our planet. So that's what we mean by a healing planet. And bring to life in 
in more detail the technology that you have and how that makes a difference there? Uh, so what we do is is we use stratospheric balloons, right? So sounds simple, and in some ways, I guess it is a, a very simple technology. And you know, the earliest of flight was done through lighter than air system, right? And uh, and that's exactly what uh, what our system is. Um, you know, but we have advanced that technology to the point where uh, it's safe, reliable. Um, and can be used to, to, to take instruments and take people to the edge of space. And so what our, our technology is, is it's a stratospheric balloon um, uh, that, uh, that can carry a, a, a 10,000 pound capsule with eight passengers inside of it uh, to higher than uh, 100,000 feet. You know, so that's 99.9% above the Earth's atmosphere where you can see the curvature of the Earth. You can see the darkness of space. Um, you can see you know, horizons that, you, you know, you never thought imaginable. Um, and so, you know, that, that's our technology. It's uh, the simplest way and I'll say the most earth-friendly way of, uh, of creating a, an opportunity for people to, to have, you know, this, this peak moment in viewing our earth from space. And that's really interesting because I think a lot of people think about space tourism. They think about rockets and, and that kind of thing. And, and then when people say, who then go, you know, can we minimize our single use plastic use? But by the way, I need to fire off this rocket. Um, it, you know, the, the, the equation's not quite balanced. But what you're talking about is something very different from, I think, what most people would imagine, what, you know, when they, they think of Blue Origin and all those kinds of te technologies. You're doing something quite different. And I'll say that there's, there's two things that, that are benefits of it. You know, I talked about inspired perspective. You know, I'd say that all of us that are in this industry, we all appreciate the role that we have to play in creating that inspired perspective. But then when we talk about a radically improved future, and I talked about delivering this to as many people as possible, and one of the unique things about you know, the, the technology that we have is that it creates a far more attainable approach. Uh, the cost of doing this is far less. And, and so we're able to price it at a point where, um, where it's far more Attainable, and so it's um, the tickets start at fifty thousand dollars. And listen, we understand that fifty thousand dollars is still a lot of money. Um, it really is, you know. But it's it's far more attainable than the you know hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars. Um, and uh, and we'll never stop trying to find ways to make it more attainable. But it's also more accessible. And what I mean by that, you know, is when when you strap yourself to a rocket, you know, you have to be of the physical ability to sustain six G's, you know, and um, and so for us, it, you know, the idea that you can use the the technology that we have um, so that uh, people who have physical disabilities can also experience space tourism and experience that peak moment of viewing our Earth, you know, that that uh, that's something that's very meaningful to us, right? That uh, that that somebody who thought that they were locked out of uh, an experience like that. You know, all of a sudden, find that that they're no longer locked out of it. That this this is a solution that uh, that is available to them. And on the journey from the sketch on the back of the napkin to the launch pad, where where are you on that on that path at the moment in creating this vision that you have? Yeah. So um, so I mentioned earlier that there's two sides of our business. There's the remote sensing side of our business, and you know, that side of the business we use the same technology, but we take 
instruments and cameras and uh, other data collection devices into the stratosphere to create uh, insights into the earth, right? So insights into what's happening on the earth. And um, that side of the business is mature. Um, we fly on a very regular basis on that side of the business and creating that kind of imagery and so, uh, or those kind of data sets. On the space tourism side, well down the path of, of the technology development, the balloon technology has matured and, and, uh, um, and is, uh, I'll say, of, of, a, of a stable baseline for, for this kind of business. But uh, what we're working on now is, the, is two things, is the, the space capsule. Um, so we want the space capsule to be a very comfortable environment, a uh, very safe environment. Um, and so we're about a year away from completing that. Uh, but then there's a, a, another very interesting part of that space tourism business, and that is the spaceports themselves. And so, you know, we're designing our solution around uh, what we call seven wonders of the world stratospheric edition. It's these seven wondrous places around the world uh, where we can um, where we can introduce customers to something unique and beautiful of, on our planet. So these are places like the Grand Canyon here in the U.S. or the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, uh, the Giza Pyramids in Cairo, the, the, the Aurora Borealis in northern Norway, uh, the Amazon jungle in Brazil, the Serengeti uh, um, in uh, eastern Africa, um, and the Great Wall of China in Mongolia. Um, so the seven spaceports, you know, will will be a place where people can truly understand the history of an area, understand the fragility of the area, and get to know it before they see it from above. It's a really interesting concept. Yeah, and so we're well down the path of our first spaceport, which will be Spaceport Grand Canyon, um, and the second one will be Spaceport Great Barrier Reef, and uh, those will those will open in 2024, and we'll, we will start our commercial operations in 2024. Fantastic. I think you can put down your deposit already. If, you, if you've got, you know, your route to your $50,000, you can put down your deposit already. Um, I'm saving up. Um, so I'm talking to leaders all the time across lots and lots of different industries about purpose. Uh, and, and that's a lot to do with being in the middle of the great resignation and, and, and coming out of COVID. People are, you know, people who work for organizations are looking for purpose uh, and meaning in their work more than ever before. So for an organization and for a leader, you know, that is very, very driven by purpose, what have you learned in terms of how you create a culture of purpose within a team? Because that, that's harder than, than finding it in yourself. Yeah, well, I think the most important thing is to talk about it, right, and be very transparent about it. Um, and so, um, so when we bring new teammates on, you know, they, they know before they get here that we're a purpose-driven business. I mean, you can't deny it. You go look at our website and when you, when you, <laughs> when you start the interview or the interview process, you know, people quickly learn that we are a purpose-driven business. And so, uh, so I think that's, that it starts with that. And the reason that that part is important is you want to make sure that you create a team, um, that, um, that understands the purpose and can contribute to the purpose. Um, um, and then once, once you have a team and, uh, and the company is a purpose-driven company, you have a team that is assimilated to that purpose, you know, then what becomes really important is to share story, right? To find the stories of, of things that bring your purpose to life. 
you know, things that, that help make it tangible um, for people so that they can see, you know, that there is, there is, there is, there is a real meat to it, right? That there is a, there is something that they can understand um, that uh, that's bringing the purpose to life. And so we're always sharing those stories and we're talking about it in our, you know, all hands meetings, or we're talking about it just in, you know, small group settings, or, you know, even just in weekly, you know, messages that we send to the team or that we share with each other, we're, we're finding ways to talk about our purpose and to talk about the stories that have brought it to life. And this is what I, I've really enjoyed doing with podcasting that I started doing. It, it, it is hearing people's genuine stories. And I've had, I remember somebody that, that came on uh, the Unlock Moment a few months ago, he was the chief executive of a leading contemporary dance academy here in the UK, like like a Juilliard, that 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 kind of organization called the Rombert School. Um, and I stood on the board of that organization, and many of the board members said, "You know, we never knew all those things about the chief executive of the organization that we're on the board of. That she left home at twelve to dance. That she was the youngest dancer in in company. That she pursued this career. That she she's been in this universe from." you know, for decades longer than they'd really appreciated. And, and I've really appreciated with you that, you know, how open you've been and, and, and you know, how vividly you bring to life your own purpose and how that comes through. And I think that's really powerful. So when you, when you think about legacy, you know, is that important to you? And if, if you think forward, do you have a view of what you want to sort of leave behind? No, uh... I don't know. I, I guess um, I, I guess I struggle with the idea that you know um, I'm just uh, I'm just trying to do my job. I guess, right? and, and in a lot of ways, you know, uh, I'm I'm just trying to carry forward. I guess in some ways, you know, the work that I that I saw my grandfather do, and you know, just in what he did in leading people and. You know, and 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 I take very seriously my role of you know leaving people better than I found them. But the idea of legacy, I I, I guess I just I, I I don't think about that. I um, you know I, I I'm I'm more focused on you know what I can do today. Um, and you know what do I what can I contribute on a daily basis that will you know lead to our vision coming to life. But you know I I've just I I. I the, the just the idea of of legacy and just you know even you asking that question I kind of feel a sense of you know who's worthy of a legacy and and and, and uh, uh, um, you know I just have a hard time seeing putting myself in that category of somebody being worthy of a legacy I don't know but um, but I guess you, you know just if if what I can do is help bring our vision to life you know if if I can help create an environment where people can be the, you know their best, um, and uh, and find purpose in what they're doing. Um, you know, then then I will have done something good. It's really interesting how you answer that question. It's I find it such a fascinating question because you hear such different answers, all authentic. Um, and what you said at the beginning, which is you know you, you you're pursuing this authentic self, it, it comes through so so strongly. Mm. If you were to put yourself back in time. Hmm. And meet your 16-year-old self, hmm. and whisper something in their ear. Given your learnings over the years, what, what would you say to to a 16-year-old Ryan? Yeah, you know, so that's something that 
that I've had to think a lot, a lot about in raising three sons, right? And I have had two 16-year-old sons. I'm about to have a third 16-year-old son. Um, and, uh, and, and advice that I've given to you know, my two oldest sons uh, is advice that I would give to myself. And that is, um, you know, slow down and enjoy it, right? Slow down and, uh, and make sure you experience, um, you know, uh, um, every phase of your life. Um, and, uh, and I think that's important because, you know, we, we find ourselves rushing through, you know, early things and trying to get to an end result as fast as we can instead of enjoying the journey. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'll tie that back to, you know, um, how, we, how we started this conversation around the role of the, the book my grandfather wrote. I recognized, you know, in reading that book, there was a lot of things that I was just oblivious to because I was just going too fast. You know, I was running from the house to the barn to get on a horse and, you know, run, run on a horse somewhere as fast as I could. And, you know, I missed things, right? And I missed uh, opportunities to, to really enjoy you know, uh, things along the way and enjoy the journey. And so, uh, so I think that's important, you know, as, as, uh, as a young man, I wish I would have slowed down a little bit. And, and, uh, and even though I gave that advice to my sons, I have to remind them of that every now and then and tell them to slow down. Um, and, uh, and I think that's an important thing for us to, to, to recognize. I think that's that, that you articulate that brilliantly. Where can people find out more about you and the work you're doing at Worldview? Uh, well, the best place is to go to our website, uh, www.worldview.space. Uh, you can find us on all of the social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, um, and uh, we're always sharing uh, different content on each of those platforms. Um, and uh, I think that's, that's the best place to learn more about us. Fantastic. The Unlock Moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead for Space Tech CEO Ryan Hartman. A life in the military, aerospace and defense prepared him for top leadership roles in some of the most cutting edge industries in the world. But what he discovered about himself and his own purpose was even more impactful. Starting his career flying very fast, now he's learned the lesson of slowing down and ballooning. Ryan, it has been a very powerful conversation. Best of luck with the continued success of Worldview. And thank you so much for joining me today on The Unlock Moment. Thanks, Gary. This has been fun. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on The Unlock Moment.